dive into our second installment of Spiritual Boot Camp. Last week was on the Word of God, uh, Scripture, the Bible, and this week it's on prayer, uh, the Christian's communication. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when something difficult happens in our world, when there's a catastrophe, or even if something happens in our personal lives, if you watch people, when something bad happens, everybody talks about praying. Suddenly, everyone's keyed up to talk to God. They're motivated to know how they can reach him. Sadly, though, those desires soon wane as they move on from the disaster uh, to the everyday and regularity of life. Uh, Even sadder is those prayers go unheard as they are too often not from his children. As Christians, we actually know, uh, personally know, the, the God they are attempting to speak with Yet we find prayer difficult or sporadic. We treat it exactly as the world does. Something to do when things are tough instead of it being part of our life. And I'm going to add this in part of our day. Now, before we dive into the question of prayer, we need to realize this, that prayer is only one side of a two-sided conversation. Prayer is our side of the conversation. The Bible is God's side. Uh, Many times prayer seems so distant and lopsided because it is. It is us talking to God and neglecting his word, never listening, only talking, talking, and talking. So as we begin looking at the discipline of prayer, we must keep in mind the necessity of scripture. And I just want to tie those two uh, together because the goal is not a one-sided conversation. It is a two-sided conversation. So As we dive into prayer, and I don't want to discourage us from praying, actually the application today is really simple, two words, uh, we need to pray, or we pray, or one word, just pray, how about that, make it even simpler, pray, be involved in prayer, be praying, and we're going to talk about, and I'll, I'll tip the scale right now, it's going to be hourly prayer, how can we be praying constantly to God, but before we dive in, I wanted to make us aware of the fact that prayer is our conversation to God and the Bible is his conversation to us and we're not trying to get involved in a one-sided conversation. So the priority of his word still rests there and now we wonder how do we talk to God and does it even matter? Prayer though is all about the question of communication. Is it some mystical ritual? Is it regulated by tradition? Can it only be offered by special holy people? Does it matter if a special holy person prays versus another person prays? How does prayer happen? I want us to realize this, and we'll talk towards the end more uh, in more detail about it. Prayer is not constrained by those man-made principles and regulations. Prayer is not a ritual, and it's not a tradition in the sense that it's locked into only being a tradition. Instead, it is natural conversation or at least it should be. Prayer is to be natural. Uh, Many authors wrote this, it's supposed to be like breathing. A Christian should almost automatically pray like they automatically draw a breath. When a baby is born, they don't need instructions on how to breathe. They just breathe. A lot of people say, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And and the fact is God gave us a illustration of prayer in Matthew and through, through the Gospels, he tells us how to approach prayer if you were wondering. But the reality is prayer is like breathing to a believer. 
As a believer, we should just pray. It should come naturally. Why? Because praying is talking to God as you would a dear friend without pretense or flippancy. It's not a joke. It's not trivial, but it doesn't have this holy glow around it that we kind of give it. It doesn't have to be in a certain place in a certain posture. Instead, it's talking to a friend. Imagine this, spending a day with one of your closest friends. As you went about your day, you would naturally talk with them, introduce them to people you know, and even discuss the happenings of the day and discuss life. Now imagine spending a day with one of your closest friends and never saying a word to them. Going about your day as if they were not along. Imagine how quickly and severely the relationship would shrivel and suffer. (laughs) How many days would your friends stick with you and you never say a word to them? You never talk to them. You never acknowledge them. You never seek their opinion on the day. You never talk through the issues that you have. As one writer notes, if we communicated with our friends as infrequently as some of us communicate with the Lord, our friends might disappear. (laughs) Thankfully, our Lord is exponentially more long-suffering than our friends could ever hope to be. But it makes you wonder, right? If you had a friend who you were around and it was super hard to talk to them, it was difficult to even want to, it was difficult to include them in anything, you'd have to wonder why you have a relationship at all or why there's a friendship at all because it shouldn't be that much work. It wouldn't make sense to have a friend that you couldn't talk to, you couldn't dialogue with, and that you didn't want to dialogue with and didn't want to talk with. So as we dive in and kind of look at the question of communication, overarching principle when it comes to prayer, ask yourself this as we launch, how normal is my prayer life? And by normal, I mean, how natural is it? Do you talk with God like you would talk to a friend? Do you go to him in prayer first or do you go to someone else first? I find that I talk to myself before I talk to God. If you ever see me walking around mumbling, it's me I'm talking to, just in case you're wondering. And yes, I am crazy. I admit that up front, right out the gate. But how normal is my prayer life? Is it like breathing? Is it a part of who I am as a believer? I'm afraid that if our breathing was matched to our prayer life, a bunch of us would look very blue in the face. It would look as if we were holding our breath constantly. But here's the reality. Prayer is not just a bonus of the Christian life. It is critical. MacArthur writes this, prayer can do what no sermon can do. (laughs) And that's a bold statement from John MacArthur, who preaches to 10,000 people multiple times a week. But he writes, prayer can do what no sermon can do. He notes, I see the difference in my own ministry when I am faithful to pray and when others pray for me. Every believer can see the effects of prayer on his life. Prayer can do what no sermon can do. And so that drives us to this idea, the question of necessity. Do I really need to pray? If God knows everything anyway, why do I even need to tell him, to ask him, to cry to him? Well, we need to realize this. It is commanded. Be watchful, God says, and we need to be watchful. We're warned in 2 Peter 5, 8, it says this, Be sober, be vigilant, 
because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Prayer is commanded because we need it to overcome temptation and sin. It is directly related to our prayers. You want to overcome sin and temptation and you're not a prayer. You're not a person who prays. You're not going to overcome sin and temptation. Prayer and overcoming are directly related. Jesus warns Peter that he must watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's Matthew 26, 41. Peter fails to do so. And shortly thereafter, he yielded to self-preservation and denied his Savior and Lord. (coughs) God says pray so you don't fall pray to the sin of denying me He doesn't pray and he falls prey to denying his Lord and Savior. We're commanded to pray because we need to be watchful. Linked directly with that is the need to be faithful. Now we go to the verses that Theron read at the beginning. Ephesians 6, 18, praying. And the next word is critical, always. And he's not saying that because he's making a suggestion, which is going to come to our final application to be in prayer hourly. Again, you can't walk around with your head down and eyes closed and not do your job, but it's about connection. And that's why Paul writes, pray all the time. And then he says, with all prayer and supplication, the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Just in case you're wondering how many extreme words, always all, all. Who do you pray for? All saints with every type of prayer at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, in a much shorter way, says pray without ceasing. Now, as MacArthur notes, praying at all times simply means an ongoing awareness of God, seeing every experience of life in relation to him. You see God as an intimate participant in every aspect of your life. And that's what I hope we gather from this idea of prayer. We have turned it oftentimes into just a tradition into something that's mystical, that has a magic wand type of characteristic. Well, if I pray, then boom, money will appear. Boom, I'll get healthy. Boom, this will take place. We've, we've done a thousand different things with prayer. But the idea of prayer is this idea of communication. When you're communicating with somebody, you have a relationship with them. You're connected. And that's the idea of praying always. It is an awareness of God. It's a connection to him. I've shared this illustration before, but the Puritans, and I know the second I say Puritans, you see black hats and you think boring. I want to swipe that off your brain. If you read history, you realize they weren't boring people at all. Actually, they were able to accomplish this idea of awareness, and it actually resulted in the best poetry and writing of their time. No one matched what they wrote. The best poems, oftentimes the ones you've been memorizing or the kids memorize in school often are from the Puritan tradition. Why? Because they were uniquely capable of expressing in words what they saw of God's handiwork. Why was that? Because they were constantly aware of God and were looking to see his reality and what was happening around them. I want to get as basic as you can, they would see God in the blacksmith's forge and the wagon wheels being made. They could see God in that handiwork as well as see him in the mountains and the hills. So many times people say, well, I need to go out hiking and then I can feel God in the woods. And they said, you can know God's handiwork and his beauty in the work that you do every day. 
They were able to see his hand in the business deals and negotiations, as well as in worship at church. How was that possible? Because they were talking and thinking of him all the time. He was a part of their day. (coughs) He wasn't tacked into their life. He was in their life. He was a part of it. No consideration didn't have God in mind. They thought of him. And so when they wrote, they expressed the beauty of this world in a way that no one else could because they could see through eyes of faith and they could see through their connection to the creator. It was natural to them. They perpetually sought to give him glory and to see his glory, which leads us to another reason and need for prayer. It is glorifying. John 14, 13 says this, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Our heartfelt request, and by heartfelt I mean connected to God's heart, that request and their fulfillment point to and glorify our God. You see, prayer is effective. James 5.16 closes saying this, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 1 John 5.14-15 promises that this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. <coughs> prayer is effective. It makes a difference. It matters. Romans 8.26, this is one of my favorite verses on prayer. And the reason is, I wonder sometimes if I ever pray effectively, if I'm praying with the right words or with the right heart, with the right spirit, if I'm articulating the issue well enough. All those thoughts come into my mind. And Romans 8.26 is, is probably the, the best promise on prayer that can be imagined. It says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for, as we are. We don't know even how we're supposed to pray, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You want to wonder if your bumbles and stumbles in prayer get through or make sense? This is what God says. Just pray and the Holy Spirit which indwells you will communicate your need will communicate your heart, will communicate your brokenness, will communicate your crushing depression, will communicate whatever is on your mind that you're wondering if you're communicating. God promises in Romans 8, 26, that as you go to pray, that the Holy Spirit that indwells you is going to speak in a way that you cannot even fathom. But you need to pray. You're called to pray. I don't have to worry about the effectiveness of prayer. I know the Holy Spirit's going to pray in a language that I cannot understand that that is going to use descriptive adjectives that that aren't even in my vocabulary. He's not praying in English, by the way, just in case you're wondering. It's in utterings we cannot even fathom at a depth that we could never achieve. But you need to pray because prayer also shapes us It constructs a right perspective and attitude in us. You see, it is formative. You wonder why prayer is necessary? It's formative. It helps us recognize dependence. It takes out our tendency to feel in control or to be controlling. To pray is to admit to God that I need him as I talk to him. Why don't we pray? Because you feel like you can handle it on your own. 
You've got this. I get so manipulative that I pray to God and I'm just recounting all the decisions I've already made and making sure it sounds good as I say them in my head. How terrible is that? That's not a dependent prayer, but real prayer is formative. We can't pretend to be self-reliant and self-righteous when we go to our God and correctly seek his face and his forgiveness. I'm no longer Mr. Right when I go to God and confess my sins as I'm called to do in prayer. I'm no longer Mr. Self-Reliant when I go to him in dependent prayer calling on him. See, we lose that self-reliance and self-righteousness when we desire his will to be worked out in our lives. When I go to him and I say, form your will in me, remove me from this equation. I want to be like you. I want what you want. Take a look at the life of Paul. (coughs) And look, everyone wants to be Paul, right? Here's a guy that is educated beyond belief. I still remember someone telling me that Paul didn't have a formal education. And I I had a almost, I didn't laugh in their face, but I thought about it. The guy had two doctorate degrees, basically, the equivalent of two PhDs, one of the best educated people in the world at that time. But he was constantly in prayer, constantly praying for others, but he was also requesting prayer for him and the ministry. He relied on prayer. And if you read through his epistles, through the letters that he wrote, prayer is constantly there. We just read two portions of two of his letters, Ephesians and Thessalonians. And that's not the only places he talks by prayer in those letters, but that's just two of them. And prayer is constantly in front of it because he relied on prayer and prayer allowed him to recognize his dependence. What happens when someone has two PhDs? and is extremely educated, the natural response is arrogance. That's what you usually find. That's why we see so much arrogance in the academic world. Why you go to a college and and these professors are expounding on things they have no idea about, but they think they know everything because they've got a doctorate degree and wrote a a dissertation at some point. And I'm not trying to mock education. I'm pro-education and being educated, but I want you to recognize that that education can tend towards arrogance. And Paul, of all people, needed to be dependent, but he was. And he communicated that dependence in all of his epistles. In writing to the church in Corinth, Paul speaks of being delivered from trouble in Asia. And in speaking of that deliverance, by the way, he mentions how God works in almost a miraculous way. He references their prayers for him. 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, You also helping together by prayer for us. So in the midst of a miraculous rescue where God gets all the glory, he still talks about their prayer to God for his rescue, the dependence upon prayer. Philippians 1.19, Paul writes this, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Prayer is relied upon and needed. Philemon 22, Paul instructs Philemon to prepare his room, lodging, as I trust that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you, that by your prayers, I will make it to visit you again. I just went through three different letters to just show us that Paul is reliant upon prayer. He relied upon prayer as he prayed for them and he asked them for prayer for himself so that the ministry would be accomplished. He even acknowledges the fact that prayer was instrumental in his rescue through trouble. Prayer is formative. It helps us recognize our dependence and it helps us focus on the spiritual. 
It takes out the world in us and reminds us that this world is not our home, nor is it in charge. We sometimes think that this world is in charge. We watch things go haywire. Uh, We watch life just spiral out. We watch our government do foolish things. I can promise you this. Governments do foolish things. That's just what's going to happen. And we look and we think, well, at least when we get to heaven, God will be in charge. But right now it's just chaos. And the reality is we realize through prayer that the world is removed out of us and that, that the world is not in charge. And we need that focus. We need help in seeing the eternal and the need to give it proper emphasis. See, our problem is we emphasize this world too much. We highlight it too much. We give our government too much credit, too much weight, too much authority. And I'm not preaching rebellion and insurrection. I'm just saying that you need to focus on the spiritual that this eternity is a bigger emphasis in the believer's life. We need help in knowing that he is more powerful than all we see around us above all this physical world. To know that God is, as Ephesians 1.21 says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. So if you're a sci-fi person looking at a million different worlds or watching Star Wars or whatever it may be, any world you can imagine, he is above that world. All principality in this world and in the one to come. As Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. He's praying that they will see eternity, to see the spiritual, to recognize how small this world really is, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his inheritance in the saints. The eyes of your understanding enlightened. What a change that would bring in how we lived and what we focused our everyday energy upon, what we allowed to shape us, what we allowed to bother us. I don't know if you've ever been frustrated by somebody. There should be more amens. Either way. (laughs) I did see some husbands glancing at their wives, and that's a risky move. I just want you to know that. (laughs) Foolish. That's foolishness. Either way, you ever been frustrated, maybe even reached a point of anger or irritability, and then try to go pray? Go try to communicate to God, and you know what's going to be bright in your mind? the sin of your frustration, irritability, and anger, because prayer is formative. This is a fascinating thing. I can read the Bible angry. I really can. I can be upset at somebody. I'm not looking over there at all. (laughs) Uh, Staring right at my brother. Uh, I can be angry at somebody and I can read the Bible, but if I go to pray, the conviction that comes, the fact that I am dwelling in a temporal emotion and letting whatever it may be, as justified as I feel in it, God confronts that. Why? Because my emphasis is not on the spiritual and he confronts that right there. But when we evaluate our prayers, are they for what we need most? Do we pray for God? Do we cry for our savior, for his wisdom, for a focus on his kingdom? Or are our requests to God just for our ideal circumstances? How much of your prayer is to make today better? 
I like it, God, to be 69 degrees in my car. I like the steak to be medium, between medium and well done. I'd like, I like, I like, I want a circumstance that is ideal. Then, God, you're answering my prayers because my life will be what I want it to be. Is our prayers that or are they focused on getting his wisdom and to see his face and to know him? See, prayer reveals our priorities and our preoccupations. It tells you what kingdom you're fixated upon. And by the way, there's two. It's either God's or your own. Whose kingdom are you seeking after? Your prayer life will tell you that. So look at your prayer life. One, is it there? Do you obey his command to pray? Sadly, I find in my own life that that question gets me. How much did you pray today, Kenny, if I ask myself? Again, I talk to myself. I've already admitted that. So, and you look over a day and you realize, wow, I've made a lot of decisions. And I don't know where I went to the Lord in prayer at all about that. Is it there? It's a convicting question, hopefully. Not something I want you to check mark. Yeah, it's there for sure. I'm definitely not that bad of a Christian. Is it there? And then two, is it focused on him? Do you call to him, seek him? Or are you looking for the genie of the Bible in your prayer to grant you your three wishes? All right, God, I'm coming to you today. I need three things. Boom, boom, boom. Make it happen. That's what you said you do. See, it reveals our priorities and our preoccupations. Prayer is formative. Now, prayer is a necessity of life for the believer. But now how do we pray? And that leads us now to the third thing, the question of practice. As we dive into the practical side of prayer, it's important that we understand how easily mishandled prayer is or how we are abusive in prayer. We need to see what prayer is and what it is for and to avoid the self-centered tendencies we too often show. Because let's be honest, if you're examining your prayer life, when I examine mine, I see a lot of selfishness. I see myself coming out. Now, I'm not talking here about formalities or rituals in prayer. Scripture actually doesn't specify a correct mode or kind of prayer. I'm going back to Ephesians 6, 18. It is prayer that takes place always, and it is to be all types of prayer. So he's not telling you, okay, this is the one prayer. Follow this formula. If you don't do this formula, not going to be heard. That's not the secret pathway into God's heart, mind, hearing. Let's not forget that God is omnipresent and hears your thoughts before you think them. So uh, we find in Scripture people praying at all times and in various manners. Look, it's fine to pray with your eyes open. Jesus did in John 17, 1, as he looked to heaven. You can pray with lifted hands, as the people did in Nehemiah 8, 6. You can pray standing. You can pray kneeling, bowing down, or even lying down. Though if you're lying down, you might fall asleep, so I would avoid that one maybe. I don't know. But either way, in Scripture, we find the people praying in all different types of positions or postures, in all different ways. There's no set protocol for how you would pray, yet that does not mean that anything goes. Prayer is not to be abused. We must not pray idolatrous prayers. Prayer to the God of our own making, a God that serves our purpose. Here, I'm hoping to dive into that selfish prayer, and I want you to realize that's not prayer at all. We must not pray to get a rubber stamp on our own life decisions. That's what I fall pray to. I've made a decision and I want God to approve it. I hear this all the time. 
Someone makes a foolish decision and then they'll tell me, I prayed about it. It doesn't seem that you have, but they think they have. What have they done? They've gone to God in prayer with their decision. They said, I'm going to do this. This is what I'm going to do. And I want your rubber stamp. And I'm going to tell everyone else in my life that I prayed about this and I felt peace about this. And I'm not trying to mock this in any way, shape or form, but I want you to realize how manipulative that can be. I feel at peace about this. Hey, so does the sinner down the street. He feels at peace about, or she feels at peace about what they're doing. Your feeling of peace doesn't mean that you prayed correctly. We're not going to God for a rubber stamp, ignoring the question of whether or not this aligns with scripture. And I go all the way back to the introduction. Prayer is one side of a two-sided conversation. So just because you talked to God and talked out your emotion from, I think this is wrong to, I think this is right, doesn't mean that you've actually communicated with God because you forgot the other side. Those prayers are not heard because they serve the idol of self. Ezekiel 14, one through three says this, then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? That's a question mark at the end of that verse. God says through Ezekiel, they are worshiping an idol in their heart that is planted in their heart. They are not worshiping me. And he asks a question that we already know the answer to. Should I be inquired of by them? Should, should, should I listen to them? Are they going to kind of petition me for something? And the glaring answer to the rhetorical question is absolutely not. Why? Prayer is not supposed to be idolatrous. We must not also pray selfishly. James 4, 3 says this, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. You want to consume it for yourself. It's for selfish desires. It's not for God's kingdom. It's for your own kingdom. And I'm hoping that we can see how when we pray for our ideal circumstances, and again, I'm not asking that. I don't think we go to God in prayer and say, God, make my life miserable. I don't think that he asks us to do that. He asks us to ask for things. But when we see that we're just completely selfish in our prayer, he says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Because it's selfish prayer. We must, we must not pray doubtfully. I see this all the time. I'm always hedging my prayers. I'm asking for God to do something miraculous. And then I'm hedging around it. That's not a, a prayer of faith. That has doubt woven into the fabric of the prayer. I don't want to be manipulative. What I think we can pray with confidence, though. James 1, 5 through 8 tells us to ask God for wisdom if we lack it. It promises that God will give it, but it clearly warns against a doubtful request. Verse 6 states clearly, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Don't doubt whether God is capable of doing what you ask of him. Don't doubt God's heart. Verse seven, for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Scripture is clear that we don't go to him with a doubting heart. Prayer is not whatever we want it to be, nor is it heard no matter how we are. Husbands are instructed to give honor to their wives so that their prayers are not hindered. First Peter 3, 7. You're disrespectful to your wife to your spouse, there's marital tension going on. And then you think you're going to go to God and pray. And he says, I'm not going to listen to that. 
Your prayers will be hindered there, as Mark eleven twenty five instructs us. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. You don't walk to God in prayer full of hate and unforgiveness and expect God to forgive you. He says that it's not happening. You just don't get to walk up to God in any way, shape, or form. Now, Scripture doesn't dictate traditions and rituals. It doesn't specify postures and modes. And I say that because sometimes people are hesitant. I I don't know how to pray, or I don't know if I'll be able to pray. Just just talk to God. That's what he wants, a sincere communication. (coughs) The Scripture does lay out some key foundational principles. Scripture tells us what it's to be. (coughs) Excuse me. We pray in Jesus' name. John 14, 13 through 14 says this, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If, she, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. How do you pray? You're praying in Jesus' name. Now, it doesn't mean that his name is that magic wand. It's not like, well, I said in Jesus' name, that should happen. Boom, it's done. It should all appear for me. But it does mean this, to pray in his name means this. It speaks of all that he is. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray according to his will and his instruction. It's to pray that his commission is fulfilled. That's why our prayers are heard. As we saw in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And I'm going to go all the way back to prayer being formative. As we pray, it shapes us. We are dependent So our pride is reduced and then it focuses us in on what God wants instead of just what we want. It actually helps lift our eyes up from the temporal issues and emotions and things going on to see him, to see the spiritual, to see the bigger picture. It's formative and that's where we're going to pray according to his will. We also pray in faith. Matthew 21, 21 through 22 says this, if ye have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Pray in faith. We pray from a pure heart. I'll go back to James 5, 16. When it speaks of prayer being effective, there's an adjective for the person. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much righteousness, purity of heart. And then we pray with earnestness. If you look at Luke eleven five five through 10, it tells a story of a friend who goes to a neighbor who's also a friend at midnight asking for three loaves of bread. The friend answers the door and declines. My kids are asleep. I don't feel like getting up, but he persists in asking. And ultimately the friend or the neighbor gives the loaves. Jesus concludes that story by saying in verse 9 and 10, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. I'm not talking about being repetitive, right? To say it in a chant over and over again. If you look at so many other faith traditions, their prayers are not talking or communication with God at all. They're just repeated chants. Muslims don't pray to Allah, which is their God, their false idol. They bow down and repeat the same phrase over and over again. Here it's not talking about just repetitiveness. See how it's completely involved. Keep 
dialoguing with God. You see the communication is constant here. We're to pray without ceasing all the time. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for ourselves. We pray for others. We pray for authorities. We pray for his work to be accomplished. We pray. The point is we pray. The the main application for this message is actually an application uh, that's not mine. Uh, I was in college. Uh, My pastor through all the years was Sandy Young uh, here in Culpeper. He ended up going and and being an elder at the church that I went to when I was at Virginia Tech. But I still remember being in college and hearing him preach a sermon on prayer and communication with an application to speak to God for at least a few minutes every hour. And here's what's interesting. I kept the notes from that, though I'd written nothing on them. I still remember it was a green piece of paper, a black uh, print, and I forget what kind of font, but it looked like New Times Rome. That's how much I remember this. I actually found the slip of paper seven years ago, and I think I decided, I don't know, you know, the notes have lost the meaning. The message had not. This is one of his messages that I've remembered all my life. I wish I could say at the end that I've applied it all my life, but I'm going to drive to that conclusion Uh, at the end of our sermon. I was in college. I came home. He preached this message on communication. I think it was from Ephesians. And he gave that as an application. I went back to school. I'm at Virginia Tech. I'm in a Bible study. And I share what my pastor had said in that Bible study. Weeks later, I'm catching a ride home from a friend at Virginia Tech. So riding home. I've never ridden home with this guy. Not part of my Bible study group. There was a large group of Christians on campus. And so your friend group overlap, and he's tanking up for gas. And I saw him take a moment to pray. And so I asked him, I said, hey, I see that you're praying. You know, you wonder what it's about. He's like, hey, a couple of my friends challenged me to pray every hour. And then he did this. He says, I'd like to challenge you to do that. And I said, actually, about a month or so ago, I was sharing what my pastor challenged me with in a group, and, in, and we couldn't find the connection. We didn't know who told what group, but what had spread over a Christian community at Virginia Tech was this idea that we would unpurposely communicate to God every hour. We make a point to include him in every component of the day. So whether you're tanking up and taking a minute to pray or having lunch or walking on campus, that we would be involved and connect to God every hour of the day taking time to speak with him. I wish I could stand here and say, over the past 25 years, I've kept that up. Sadly, I'm telling you, that's one of the sermons I remember from my pastor when I was a teen into college. This is a sermon that that resonates in my mind, that I can visualize his notes. I still remember where I sat. It was left side, always at the back. Um, Left side at the back. I still remember where I was sitting when I heard the message because it had an effect. But here's the problem. I haven't kept that up. I wish I could say I had. I share that for this reason. I hope that as City Light, we could take it upon ourselves to communicate with God every hour. What could be a more practical application of the practice of prayer than practicing prayer consistently throughout the day? I'd like to get better at praying. You know what they say about anything? Then pray. And so as we dive into or close out this idea of prayer. And I hope we can apply and and, and adjust our life as we notice our prayer life maybe is self-centered 
or our prayer life is all about our ideal circumstances. We're approaching God like he's the genie of the Bible to grant us our wishes. Obviously, that needs to be changed in our lives. But one of the things I want to close with is, will you pray hourly? Will you pray? Because the whole calling is to communicate to God. I don't want to ignore, again, what I started with. It's one side of a two-sided conversation. Last week, we emphasized the Bible and being in his word. That's his communication to us. You want to know how to talk to God? Then be in prayer. Be reading his word and be praying. Alistair Begg writes in his book, Pray Big. So we pray big prayers. We pray like Paul. We pray for our own sake, for we are dependent creatures. And we need the help of the God who is able to do what we are quite unable to do. We pray for the sake of others because what they most need from us is our prayers. And most of all, we pray for God's sake, that the God who made us and died for us and rose for us and rules for us and will return for us might be glorified in our lives and in our churches. I go to that two-part application. We pray. Will City Light be defined as a church that prays? Let's close in prayer. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says this, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Lord, as we look at the idea of communication to you, as we look at prayer, I hope that our takeaway can be exactly what you've exemplified when you were here on earth. If we were read through the Gospels, we would see you constantly in prayer. The Son of God here on earth, God incarnate, and yet you took valuable time to pray and that you were praying constantly. We see you rising early in the morning for prayer. We see you lifting your eyes to heaven in prayer. We see you praying before you went to the cross. If we looked at your life, we see you praying. And if we look at the servants that you called, the apostles, we find them filled with lives of prayer. Peter says, we're going to dedicate our work to the word and to prayer. Help us as believers to be those in prayer. Help us not to be just one-sided communicators, but instead to have your word filling our heart and our mind. And then from there to be communicating back to you, help us to be in prayer on a constant basis. I mentioned hourly because It helps us to set a clock, so to speak, to understand, uh, to check ourselves. But the idea is to be constantly connected to you. Give us the fortitude, the discipline, the desire to be in communication with you constantly. In your precious and holy name, amen.